Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today, I'm so excited. We're studying 1 Thessalonians. I've really wanted to do this study for a long time. And so as we uh, have finished up our study of the powerful book of Isaiah, uh, now we're uh, with all this prophecy and forward-looking scripture, now we're going to see... Paul get into it a little bit with his letter to the Thessalonians, and in it, uh, um, you know, he writes about the coming of the Lord Jesus too. So I think it's going to fit really well with our previous study of Isaiah. I think it's going to help us learn more. And just to set this, you know, and just to let you know, also, um, we are prayer. We are in prayer uh, today uh, for uh, our friend uh, Jenny, who's battling. Um, uh, some heart uh, disease issues, and so we uh, will be hoping and praying that she uh, feels better soon. And uh, also, if you ever wanted to drop us a line, we'd love to hear from you too. We'd love to. Um, we're on Twitter at Eternity Bible Study uh, um, on Twitter, and so uh, you can feel free to um, either send us a voicemail, and we can put your uh, comments. On the podcast, uh, uh, or you can uh, send us your comments. Just to set the stage, um, um, Paul uh, leaves at some point. He uh, he he gets converted, um, and he s- starts hit a church uh, or starts uh, talking in Antioch. Okay, in Israel, like it's, or he leaves and he go, starts going to preach from Israel. He goes up to Antioch, the church there, establishes his first church because his mission now is to go to the Gentiles. And so then he travels through Asia Minor. He leaves and he starts traveling up into Asia Minor and he goes um, over to Galatia and he kind of sets up little churches along the way. And so that's where we get the book of Galatians from. And then, you know, as he's traveling across Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey now, um, you know, he keeps going um, 
keeps going westward. And so um, you think, well, he's probably going to the big, powerful city of Ephesus over there, which is sort of in the southern part, but he doesn't. He uh, he ends up uh, in this little city called Troas, and he, he thinks, like, what am I supposed to do, Lord? So even this great missionary Paul tries to figure out what to do, and uh, so he uh, has a dream about this man of Macedonia, uh, which is... Uh, over in Europe, this is present-day Greece, uh, telling him he needs help. So he says, that must be the Lord telling me what to do. And so he takes the Ignatian Way, which is like this Roman highway, that gets him from present-day um, 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 Asia Minor, and he gets him over to present-day Greece, and he forms the Philippian church over there. He has so many dear friends over there. Of course, there was no man from Macedonia. It was a woman named Lydia who uh, sold clothing, but she was holding Bible studies over there, or not Bible studies, but holding prayer meetings because she had heard about the Lord. So Paul there establishes the Philippian church, and then uh, he he goes down to the Thessalonians, Thessalonica keeps on the Ignatian way, and he kind of goes down after that. And he's that on his second missionary journey. This is his second missionary journey. Now we're talking about, and he gets down to Thessalonica, and he's only there less than a month, and he preaches or he, he discusses things in the synagogue they have there. There was probably some Jewish, you know, people there who are hearing about now Jesus for the first time. So he's he's uh, he's establishing this church now uh, based on the gospel message in Thessalonica. And so as he's there now, he's there less than a month. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of people are believing, and of course, it creates a stir. It's a, isn't it interesting that anytime you have somebody really starting to believe, and that belief grows, and more and more people grow in their belief uh, in the Lord Jesus, it makes other people jealous or other people uncomfortable because it convicts other people, and then other people get mad. You know, and it creates controversy. It's isn't it interesting what the gospel message can do in the hearts of people who believe? But isn't it interesting also what the gospel message can do in those who don't believe? Well, of course, people didn't believe, uh, and so they got really angry, and they, in a sense, chased Paul out of Thessalonica. He had to leave. Post haste, as it says, they had to leave pretty fast. And so he runs down from Thessalonica and he ends up down in southern Greece uh, in Corinth. And that's where he's setting up this Corinthian church. So, uh, kind of an interesting take on uh, the first and second missionary journey that gets us to where we are now in Paul's overview. So he's so now he's down in Corinth and then um um his buddies uh um Timothy and Silas uh, as it says in verse 1 Paul Silvanus which is Silas and Timothy to the church of uh, the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So he's writing this letter to them. Basically, he's in Corinth. He might have written it in Athens or in Corinth, but he's writing this letter back because 
as he's been staying down there, um, uh, Timothy and Silas um, are bringing him word of how his uh, Thessalonian church was doing since he had to leave so fast. And so, the, you know, after he left, there was probably more questions. And so he's writing his letter. I think this is his first letter to any church to answer their questions and to uh, reassure them. So that's kind of setting the stage for First Thessalonians. He's writing this letter to encourage um, this young church, to encourage to teach this young church. Um, about the gospel message, how it really means, what it really means. He's encouraged, he's encouraging this young church in their living, in their holy living, and also encouraging them to keep their eyes and their hearts focused on Jesus Christ. So again, it's all about Jesus Christ. And as we read these letters, as we read this letter, this is like Christianity 101. This is, this is what you would expect Paul to write People who don't even know what it's like to be Christian. What it's like to put that Christian life into practice. Now, as we live our own lives today, we look around. We see what we, as what we would call the modern day church. And we see a lot of people doing stuff. But sometimes you have to ask yourself, is that really what Paul is is talking about? Is that we have to go back sometimes how helpful it is to go back to the scriptures to say, what does it really mean to be a Christian? What is that Christian life really looking like? And so we should always keep our eyes focused on the Word of God. We should always keep our eyes focused on His Word because the temptation there is not to do that. And then you just look around and see what everybody else is doing. And uh, then that's your example. So it's it's a very dangerous thing to let your Christian example be somebody else's mouth or somebody else's actions or somebody else's music, you know, and that's supposed to be the Christian experience. The Christian experience is found in the Word of God. The Christian experience is found by what God's purpose and plan is, not ours. So um, that's kind of where we're starting here. And again, as he um, as he greets them, he kind of greets them. He doesn't really make uh, reference to himself as being the apostle like he sometimes he does in the other letters, like the Ephesians. He says, you know, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ. He doesn't really do that. And so uh, he kind of says greetings from Paul, you know, Sylvanius and Timothy. And I, in my study guide, it says um, he's there to perhaps um, to emphasize that, you know, there's really no superstar here. There's no um, one person over the other. And uh, that one missionary person uh, is just as, you know, good as the other, you know, and so that, you know, they, they don't get, they don't feel like they're um, getting the short stick if, if Timothy comes to see him, you know. And you got to remember that he's writing this letter back to them sort of, after getting a report from Timothy and Silas 
because they were in Thessalonica after Paul. Paul was there, then he gets chased out, and so then uh, Timothy and Silas are catching up with Paul, so they have just left Thessalonica, and they had been with them. And so when Paul's writing the letter back, he's writing the letter from himself and also from his other two co-workers. So he's kind of letting um, the Thessalonians know that Timothy and Silas are um, good people, good workers in Christ too. And it kind of bolsters up that that co-worker uh, relationship that we have uh, in missionary work and uh, and also um, in our own um, relationships today, you know, there's no superstar, there's no superstar Christians, and there's no, um, there's none of that with Paul. So um, Paul would would acknowledge himself as the, an apostle of Christ. Sometimes when it was necessary, when he would have to let let people know. Um, That he had authority, but uh, in this is a case where we see um, that he makes no mention of that, and it's all about uh, co-workers together, that uh, feeling that um, just letting him know that that also that it's all from all three of them, and there, there may be, uh, this is a situation where there's no false teachers challenging whose authority this is by, you know. So this is probably such a young church. They were already, you know, uh, believing everything, and there's no false teachers around to try to challenge this. So that, that may be what's going on, too. Uh, so immediately, right off the bat, the relationship of the church to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is expressed. You know, um, we uh, are that the church, as he will expand in in his other letters, um, particularly to the Ephesians, he is talking about the church as one of the mysteries of God. Uh, you know, through our belief in in Jesus Christ through the gospel message, we share uh, his um, his death. Um, and then we also share in being raised uh, just through the same power that God used to raise Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we enter into this new relationship as we uh, share in his death, we share in his resurrection, his spiritual resurrection, and later a physical resurrection. But but as we do that, we begin this relationship, this the same spiritual relationship that Jesus has with God the Father when he says he's in the Father and the Father's in him. Um, we, we've learned that uh, Jesus uh, allows us to be in him and he in us and in he dwells in us. So through Jesus Christ, um, God now, as we have seen all through Isaiah and all through the Old Testament, God has been working all this time to be able to dwell with his people. And that is what we have seen all throughout the Old Testament is God working His will so that He His will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. God can now say, 
that he can dwell with his people. And it's not in some temple. It's not in some holy of holies, special little place. Or it's not up on some uh, Mount Sinai where the mountain's rumbling and the people are too scared to even, you know, touch the base of the mountain or they'll die. You know, God in his um, majesty, in his unattainable uh, nature, because he is so holy and we are so so sinful, God can now say that he can dwell with his people. And even more than that, he can dwell in each person. That's his formal dwelling place now. So the Holy Spirit of God the Father is in each person. And as Paul has said uh, in his other letters, that that then connects each believer together in the another one of the mysteries of God, and that is his church. And the church is the body of Christ that is now present in each of us as we are in the body of Christ, as we are, as God now is in us, we are in Him, and then we become this other sort of this mystery is the body of Christ. We are the physical representation of the body of Jesus Christ that the Romans lost, that they couldn't find. They couldn't find the body. Well, the body of Christ is now us because Jesus was resurrected. They never saw him. But we are now the body of Christ. We have the the mind of Christ. We have the spirit of Christ. And we are the body of Christ. So that's that's really a basic description of of Ephesians right there, which we will see when we we saw when we studied Ephesians. But that is sort of this mystery, really quickly explained of the church that occurs to us through grace. Grace is something that God does for us that we don't do. Uh, that's what saves us. That's our that's the gospel message that was given to us in love. Uh, it's by God's grace and nothing that we do. And, um, and then when we um, have accept this grace, this love that God gives us in His gospel message, that His Son, Jesus Christ, dies for us, uh, we, like, I, like we said, um, share in Jesus' death, we share in Jesus' resurrection, and at that point then, <clears throat> we have peace with God. Because our sin has been um, resolved, and uh, through this, uh, now we finally have peace. And it's only through Jesus Christ, it's only through the gospel message, the grace of God, giving us Jesus Christ, the gift that we did not deserve, that we have now peace with God. So only Jesus Christ can bring peace. And in and as we saw in Isaiah, it's peace on earth will not occur until Jesus Christ comes a second time and will finally establish his kingdom on earth and there will finally be peace on earth. So we have peace with God in each one of us. We are we have peace uh with God through the res through um the resolution and redemption of our sins, we have peace. The world itself will have peace one day when Jesus reestablishes his kingdom. So that's uh, 
verse 1, to the church of Thessalonica, of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. That's the gospel message. That is the church. And that is the relationship that we have with one another, uh, also with our Lord Jesus Christ and um, the Father in heaven, God the Father. Verse 2 uh, and we only have time today. We're going to be hitting verse 2 and verse 3. So let me read them, and then I will try to expand on uh, these verses. Verse 2, we give thanks to God. And uh, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, as McGee points out, you know the first the you know first verse kind of talks about you know sort of a trilogy here. You know, you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have that those three things, and then we have uh, our relationship to the church, our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, um, and our relationship to God the Father. So we kind of have that that triple relationship, and then we have, um, we can look at another kind of a trilogy is this gospel message of grace, uh, which is the gift of Jesus Christ in love, and we have that peace also. So we have those kind of, Three little basic uh, trilogies there. But now he, he kind of goes into sort of another trilogy of things. And it's, it's uh, he's talking about his prayer. He's talking about what he does when he prays, how he's praying. And then he hits on uh, this um, these three things, this faith love, and hope. A very powerful um, um, grouping here. It's a prominent, um, very prominent triad of things, faith, uh, love, and hope. Um, And we talk about uh, work of faith. We're talking about working. We talk about labor of love. And we're talking about steadfastness of hope. This is very uh Paulian writing style you know Paul writes with these things Paul could could write but he he really he sometimes partners words together to give them more uh flair and meaning so you know he's got faith love and hope but he's also got work and a labor and a steadfastness uh, and as he characterizes his words so let's let's start for just a minute um uh, about a and just take for a minute this window into into the Christian life as Paul is explaining this to the Thessalonians. I think it's really fascinating. Uh, as he starts off his letter talking about his prayers, his prayer life, we get a window into Paul's prayer life. We get a window into effective Christian prayer uh, if we if we can look at these. You know, he's he says again, we give thanks to God always. For all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father 
your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I thought it was kind of, I thought it was so interesting when I was reading this. I wrote down on a little card the word pray. It just kind of sort of came to my mind and I was just thinking to myself, if I was to break down prayer and I wrote the word out pray, how, what, what characteristics could I find? Could I find any characteristics in these verses? Well, um, just for organization of thought, the word pray starts with the letter P. So what does the letter P in prayer, uh, how, can we see any parallels? Well, the first thing is <clears throat> there's praise to God. There's praise to God for His purposes and His plan. So when we pray, uh, I think all too often sometimes when we pray, we're just sort of given a, um, a to-do list or a laundry list or a wish list of what we want. And that's, that's uh, not really what, what Paul's coming about at all. It, it starts about God. It's all about God. And when we pray, I think it's helpful to think of prayer as... Um, not from us talking up, but but allowing God, God's uh, praise to God, us to receive a downward um, relationship with God. We can we can see God's purposes, God's plan for us, and the praise that God deserves coming down to us. And uh, so I think it's helpful to begin prayer, to begin our, our what is prayer, is to have a, an appreciation, a perception, if you will, of being in the presence of God, of understanding the praise that is due Him, because of his uh, awesomeness and his holiness, and to understand that God has a purpose and a plan, and so when we pray, it is uh, that uh, allowing ourselves to truly quiet our minds, our hearts, and maybe shut our mouths for a moment, and understand that when we're praying. We are coming into the awareness of the presence of God and that God's Holy Spirit is living with us. We are at peace with God. And so I think it's um, that is uh, setting our minds on, on having God-centered heart, having God-centered minds when we start to pray. And then uh, the, the next letter that, that starts with in prayer is R. And so once we set our hearts on God, once we begin to see that uh, what what praises do Him, what purposes He has for uh, us on earth as it is in heaven, and what plans are important, His plans, not our certain situation plans, but it's His purposes and plans are really what's important. Once we have those priorities, if you will, all laid out, then we can sort of think about the next thing as we pray is how Paul says, um, 
we are remembering things. We are remembering things as we rejoice. As we as we pray, we should pray in remembrance of him. And we should rejoice in our prayers. We should not be praying to complain. Uh, prayer is is an act of worship. So I think those are really important characteristics of prayer as we as we set our hearts and minds to pray. And what is he praying about? Well, he is remembering constantly um, people in his prayers. And it's really the work of God in his prayers. And these three things he lists, faith, love, and hope. That's what he's remembering. Uh, people's work of faith, love, labor of love, and steadfast hope. So those three things he kind of remembers in his prayer. And then the, the letter A in pray is always. He's praying always. He's praying constantly. He's constantly remembering faith, hope, and love. And he's constantly uh, rejoicing as he prays. So P-R-A, then Y. Then you think about yourself, what others might need. So we start off in prayer sort of as uh, being uh, at peace in your heart and centering it on God and allowing you to appreciate God's holiness first. So that's kind of a downward uh, direction of prayer. And I, I, for me, and I'm just dwelling on this, I always think about praying as sort of me sending my thoughts straight up to heaven, you know, and that's prayer. But I don't think prayer should start like that. I think prayer should me should begin with me appreciating God's presence coming down to me first me appreciating that first and then it's not me giving requests at that point it's me then remembering his greatness his mightiness in worship going back up to him and rejoicing in what he's done for me and uh then um that's a an always relationship. It's not just an every once in a while relationship. So the letter A is sort of expanding on that, that it's an always relationship. Constant prayer is what Paul sets. The, Paul gives us the example that prayer is constant. And then we can talk about ourselves and our others and our needs. So we put those needs sort of at the end. That's yourself. That goes last. So let's talk about the three things that he remembers in his prayers. He talks about faith, he talks about love, and he talks about hope. And he talks about, and as Paul expands, you know, he talks about faith. He says it's, you know, he not only be, not only uses it as faith, but he says the work of faith. So what is the work of faith? And, um, you know, McGee uh, starts off, he says, well, you know, you say, well, you're saved by your, you know, he's talking about work of faith, and he says you're saved by grace. You're not saved by faith. You know, you're saved by grace, and that's true. That's the gospel message. The gospel message says it's grace that saves you. 
But faith is the response of the soul of man, as McGee says, to the Word of God. So God saves you by, by grace, not by, by anything that you and I do. But faith is um, your response to that, to this Word of God, to this gospel message. That's how you act to it. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not a feeling at all. It's this response. It's this trust. It's how you trust. It's how you accept the grace that's been given to you, the love that's been given to you. It's been said that it's the response of the soul of man to the Word of God. So we put our faith into action as we walk. And Paul uses this sort of this analogy to walking. He sets sometimes these Christian principles. He makes these metaphors that people can understand, these examples. And walking is sort of a way that um, in the Jewish faith, they at the time they would sort of use the word walking to as an analogy of how you uh, live out your life and your principles of your life. So walking by faith, not by sight. Paul uses that analogy. So we don't let our own feelings interrupt. It's how we respond to what God has said. So, So we work out our faith in a life that is lived as you walk by faith, not by works. And as McGee says, we are saved by uh, its faith plus nothing else. Now, our faith doesn't save us. That's God's grace. But it's the response of our faith. Our faith is our trust in how we uh, accept it that we get saved. It's not by our own. Nothing that we do has done the works that is required to save us. It's God's grace. But the faith is acting on this work of God. It's what connects you to God. So faith is uh, manifested in our works to the world. Faith is a verb. It's not a feeling. Faith has to be put into action. So uh, faith is, is an active, it's a living and active thing. And so um, I think when we, I think there's a little parallel between faith, love, and hope to this, this act in prayer. Um, we walk our walk in faith. We're putting our response to God's word into action. And I also think when we pray, it starts with faith. We quiet our hearts. We center it on God. We center our, our heart on God. And we recenter our hearts when we pray on God. We have to keep our minds centered on Christ. We keep our hearts centered on Christ. And I think faith, when we pray, it's like when we, we um, it is an active time of resetting our hearts and minds all the time, back on God, making sure it's square. And it starts with faith. So I think that ability to receive God's um, 
presence in your heart, God's peace and His presence is through faith. So as we begin to pray, it is an act of faith, even when we pray. And I think we have to be mindful of that. When we pray, we are resetting our hearts and minds on God, and we are allowing His peace and His presence to be in our hearts and minds. So then he talks about a labor of love. Labor of love. What's that supposed to mean? You know? Um, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. So love is not just talking about doing something. Not just saying I love you or not just saying, you know, I love in the abstract. Love is something also that gets put into action. Just like your faith gets put into action, your love gets put into action. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. When To, to put an analogy on, on this labor of love kind of thing, um, if 90, you know, it's been said that 99% of the people go to work every day hating their job or they wake up every morning just kind of feeling anxious or kind of feeling uh, worried about stuff. And if it's true, I don't know if it is, but if it's true that most people get up hating their job or maybe not liking a part of their job, you know, it's, it's pretty rare to go and find just somebody happy as a clam doing what they're doing. But a lot of times there's stress on the job or there's parts of your job you like, but maybe there's parts of your job that you don't like. Okay? So if people go if people go to their job or do what they're doing and um, they don't truly like it, it's not a true labor of love, is it? It's not true love. Or if you're doing something for somebody... that you truly love, it doesn't feel like labor. It doesn't feel like work. And Jesus is saying He wants you to love Him when you keep His commands, when you follow Him in love. Not because it's a job to do, not because your faith um, or uh, your faith in Christ is a job. He doesn't want that. He wants your heart in Him, centered on Him, through love. So it's it's not a job of labor, but it's a labor of love. So as McGee points out, it's been said that it's okay to be weary in God's work, but not to be weary of God's work. It's sort of how you manifest the obedience that God wants you to have in Him. It's this labor that you want to do as you follow Jesus Christ the work that you do, it is a work based on love. And so Paul puts these two different, different uh, words together, labor of love. And that's really interesting. Yeah, I think labor of love even makes it into our common uh, phraseology today, into our common vernacular today. You still see people talk about a labor of love. Well, it was all based on Paul's writing here. 
We never acknowledge Paul, and we never acknowledge what it really means for a labor of love. But Jesus Christ was talking about, if you truly love me, keep my commands. He's talking about following him, but he's talking about doing that with a heart that's based on love. Jesus doesn't want us to be Christians not liking part of our, that job or not uh uh, or feeling like uh, we're complaining when we worship or complaining when we're praying. He wants our our uh, hearts to be uh, based on love. Everything we do has to be based on love. Jesus came down to give us the gospel message, and it was all based on love. He didn't come down here saying, well, I got to do this. You know, let's get this done. It was all a labor of love, and so when we, when we, uh, when we, and then we circle back, and how does that, how does that tie in when we pray? Well, we said we start off in prayer to be at peace in our hearts and to allow the presence of God to be with us as we pray, and that's a that's a faith. That's that trust relationship. And then as we as we also pray, we remember what God has done for us. We remember to rejoice. And that is a that is a labor of love. That is love manifested. So our prayers should should reflect that love back to the Lord. As we remember him, as we rejoice in him, we are worshiping him with now hearts centered on him, but it's a but it's also it, it should reflect our love back to Him. And also everything we do, we should reflect our love to one another. So that's um, faith, love, and hope kind of also ties back into how we pray. And the, the last part of this, he's talking about a steadfast hope. The steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And as McGee points out, Sophocles and others, well, Sophocles said, and he was a Greek, he's like the most famous of all Greek playwrights, or, or if not the most famous, one of the most famous. Um, he says, it's hope that maintains most of mankind. It's hope that maintains most of mankind. I thought that was kind of interesting saying, coming from uh, a secular person, just how much people depend on hope. And he said, and it's also several other quotes that I don't have like attributions to, but it's uh, one quote said, there's no better medicine than hope. And another quote says, an expectation that something is, that something better Tomorrow, an expectation in something better coming tomorrow. Another one is hope springs eternal. It just shows that throughout time that hope has been one of the things that we could say honestly that man's heart depends on. It's hope that maintains most of mankind. When you talk to people, no matter what's going on, whether they're dealing with disease, whether they're dealing with uh, trying to get through school or to get through a job or education or even little kids, everybody's hoping in something that they want or something better 
or something's going to happen that they want to have happen, or they go to bed at night kind of dreaming like in the future, or, you know, I'm going to marry somebody really special one day, and I'm going to get a really nice job, and I'm going to live in a really nice house. Hope just throws your mind into this, <clears throat> into this um, futuristic thinking of something that you really want to have happen. And, you know, you can say people, uh, you know, may not be spiritual, but everybody hopes in something, whether you're hoping in the Lord or you're not hoping in the Lord. And many people, I think they, that you may see people say they will, they have no hope. Well, people who walk around that have no hope are probably burnt out from hoping in things of this world that won't ever happen for them. And it's like, as we saw um, in Ecclesiastes, like when you're hoping for things in the world, it's like hoping in the wind. As, as uh, the writer in Ecclesiastes said, that was Solomon. He was saying that all is vanity under the sun. You know, like just like hoping in the wind. So if we put our hope in the world and anything in the world, whether it's your education, your finances, your popularity, your sense of security, <clears throat> all those things, or hoping in your politics, or hoping in whatever, it's like hoping in the wind. And if you hope in the wind long enough, you're going to get let down sooner or later, and you're just going to feel like you're getting tired of it. And hoping for things that never happen. Or hoping for the things that do happen, continue to happen, and then you realize they're not going to happen anymore. And you don't have anything left. The only thing eternal, the eternal promise, is the return of Lord Jesus Christ. And that hope is a personal hope that you have. And so hope is a steadfastness of hope, that constant hope. In Jesus Christ. It has to be a steadfast hope because we have a, a God with a steadfast love in us. It is a hope that is an eternal hope. And so as we tie the, the, the concept of hope back into when we pray, that's when we pray for, you know, the letter Y in pray. Now we're at the end. That's when we pray for ourselves, yourself, and others, and our needs. We're praying for what we're hoping for. We're praying for Jesus Christ. So we always, um, we're always prayerful. And then at the end, we can, we can think of ourselves. We can think of our other physical needs. But we have a steadfastness in hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because hope is steadfast. Hope is all eternal. An eternal hope, a steadfast hope. It's not a temporary hope in all the things in this in this world. So everything that we need, we can we can actually place our hope in for ourselves. And again, if we're praying the right way, we're praying for things that we need in that steadfast hope in Jesus Christ. We're not praying like, oh, a new car and a new this, that, and the other. Our hearts need to be centered on Him. So I think this is a fascinating study. Uh, so far in the Thessalonians, we have studied about prayer. We've taken a little, we've made a little example of what the word 
pray means, and I've tried to kind of illustrate that for myself as well as for this study, P-R-A-Y, think about the presence and the peace that comes to you from God the Father. That's coming down to you when you start to pray. Then remember, that's the R, remember what He has done for you and rejoice as an act of worship. And that's you going back up to Him and remembering faith, hope, faith, love, and hope. It's your work of faith. It's your labor of love. It's your steadfast hope in Him. Always remember to pray and let your yourself be last in that, um, in that example. Then put yourself and others and the needs in perspective with faith, love, and hope. So we'll leave it there and we'll take up the rest. Uh, we'll start... Uh, Uh, probably with verse 4 tomorrow. For now, for me, for all of you, I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to Matali. And uh, Matali, can't wait to hear what you have to say on this. So for me to all of you, God bless you, and I'll see you next time. Hello. So today's teaching, we're moving on to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. And it's coming from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. And this book is the first epistle that Paul wrote and it deals with the rapture of the church and the second epistle to the Thessalonians deals with the revelation of Christ when he comes to the earth to establish his kingdom. So here we saw um, Paul encourages the, the Thessalonians to excel in their newfound faith, to increase their love for one another, and to rejoice and pray and give thanks always. So here we see um, these two chronicles that Paul wrote to the church of, um, you know, at um, Thessalonica. So here Paul was actually run out of of, 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 um, Thessalonica, when he went to establish his church, but there was a great conversion from um, these people, and it's it's a great epistle so far. The beginning is very beautiful and very spiritual. So for me, what stood out for me in today's teaching looks at um, you know the the picture that is presented here is um, in in this study is the biography of you know, a Christian. And it looks at the three graces of the Christian life, and that's faith, hope, and love. So it's, you know, the definition of a Christian life is, um, you know, the works of faith, which is the past, and the present is the labor of love, and the future is uh, a patience of hope. That's hope in our Savior, our Redeemer, Christ. So it's, it's a picture of the biography of a Christian life and how can we put... In, you know, how can we put them into the concrete, you know, into the shoe leather where the rubber meets the road, as Dr. J.B. McGee always puts it, and not just in abstract and not just, you know, in air and we just read about it and not actually put it in practice. So we begin our study at verse 2 of chapter 1, and it, verse 2 reads, We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. So here 
you know, this expression was used um, to the Philippians and um, Paul prayed for all his churches. Paul established a lot of churches and Paul prayed for all his churches and um, that he had actually founded. So he gave thanks for this church because um, of the many things that they actually went through, of the many trials that they went through, the persecutions. But um, what stood out is that, you know, they were an example and um, they were a model church and he gives thanks to God for them. Because um, Paul encourages them to excel in their newfound faith, to increase in their love for one another, and to rejoice and pray and give thanks always. So um, here, um, you know, Paul, because they turned to God, and which means they shunned their idols, and and um, Paul is just encouraging them to to actually um, increase their love for one another, and. Um, you know, Paul has many pleasant memories in the days he spent with the infant Thessalonian church and uh, their faith, hope, and love and perseverance in the face of persecution, you know, was exemplary. So Paul is, um, he always begins, um, you know, his letters, his epistles by giving thanks and um for all of them and, 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 and making mention of um, them in his prayers. So verse 3 reads, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. So here, you know, Paul follows a pattern of... Um, you know, it follows a pattern of, of Apostle Paul that um, he found, that is found in his writings. And um, he emphasizes three things here. Paul emphasizes the Trinity. And um, these three things are, the first one is work of faith. The second one is labor of love. And the third one is patience of hope. So Paul associates three Christian graces together. Faith, hope, faith, love, and hope. Um, if we go to the book of Corinthians, uh, we have these three things that are brought together again. And, um, you know, the greatest of these three things is love. So Paul is emphasizing these three things. So in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let me just turn there quickly. It reads, Though I speak with the tongue of men and the angels, but have no love, I have become sounding brass for a, chain, a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move, remove mountains, but have no love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods, to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, 
thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails, but whenever there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether they are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part that we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I will put away childish things for now. We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know as just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So here, um, you know, Paul is emphasizing on these three and um, in Corinthians in first corinthians chapter 13 um you know it talks about faith hope and love but love conquers all love is um, the greatest among these three things so here you know paul has basically described the definition of um christian life you know like i said the past is the work of faith the present is a labor of love the future is a patience of hope the hope of things to come that's the hope of Christ. So it, it's a picture that present that is presented here. It presents, it looks at the biography of a Christian life. So how can we put them into the concrete? How can we put them into practice instead of just an abstract? So you know, Doctor David McGee talked about um, um, an an astrologist or somebody who studied something to do with space, um, uh, who puts um, a particular heat plate on a capsule that goes in space and he described it beautifully um this person talked told him the universe is a trinity so um and 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 for me which um resounded to me you know it, it made a very good resonation to me so um this material universe we stay in is in three and three is a representation of the trinity so there is time and there is space, and there is matter. So we have time, space, and matter. So time, um, time has the past, present, and the future. Since we, we can't think of anything else to add on to it, space. Space has length, breadth, and height. There's a fourth dimension, which is not part of this material universe that they speak of, but it's in three. Then there's matter. Matter has proton, protons, neutrons, and electrons. And, um, you know, matter, anything that has matter, um, has mass. It takes up space, and it has volume. So it's in three. So the universe bears um, the mark of the Trinity, and the Word of God does the same thing. You know, the Word of God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God brought man and woman together, as stated in Genesis. And... Um, in the beginning, he said, um, the two of you shall be one flesh. So two plus one, you know, two makes one. And two plus one is three. It represents um, the Trinity. So, you know, in the study of um, plane geometry, three lines always makes a complete plane. 
So um, Genesis in Genesis, there is also um, you know the sons of Adam. Adam had many sons, but only three were mentioned, and that was Cain, Abel, and Seth. So you know, the universe is a trinity. It's a representation of three things, um, always. So we have three graces um, of the Christian life, and this is faith, hope, and love. So um, just like the universe is, is, is also a trinity. So here um, we see Paul putting these three things together. And, you know, how as Christians can we actually put them into the concrete, into where the rubber meets the road? How can we put, you know, um, our faith into action? So if we go all the way down to verse 9, it says, For they themselves declare concerning us what matter of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols and served the living and true God. So here, you know, there are three steps in the lives of the, Thess the Thessalonians. And um, how, so here there is how you turn to God from idols. This was works of faith. You know, through their faith, they turned to God. They believed in God. And, 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 and just by them, them turning to God, they turned away from their idols. And it also says to serve the living and true God. And in order for us to serve the living and true God, this is a labor of love. This is, um, you know, Christ loved us that he gave his only begotten son. You know, that labor of love, that love that he had for us, he had to give something um, in order to save us. And um, it also says um, to wait for some to wait for his son from heaven, and this is um, the patience of hope. So we have three things again that Paul actually um, has described here in um, verse 9 of chapter 1. It says, for, the, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned from God, um, how you turned to God from idols. So that's one thing uh, through their faith. And to serve the living God, and that's a labor of love. And to wait for his son um, from heaven, that's the patience of hope. So we have two things here again from Paul. So, um, you know, here we look at um, the work of faith. What do we mean by um, the work of faith? Um, as Paul states here in... Um, Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. So here, work of faith, this is by grace. Um, you know, it's by grace that we are actually saved through faith and not works. So you have a lot of people trying to do works, believing that um, that's their entry ticket to eternal life. But it's not. It's actually works of faith. You know, James had said, um, I will show, you know, show me your works and I will show you my works of faith. So what does it actually mean? So faith is the response of the soul of man to the word of God. And if a man responds to the word of God and um, he walks by faith, um, this is what it means to have works of faith. So if we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 
7. It reads, But if the ministry of death... Sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Let me just read. Let me just look for it quickly. Okay, so... It reads, um, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, as Paul stated in um, this epistle to the Corinthians. So we have to walk not only by sight, but by faith as well. You know, the faith and the hope of things to actually come. So, um, you know, Christ in John chapter 6 verse 29 had actually written, um, talking of faith. If we go to the book of John. Chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So this is faith, believing in Christ, whom God actually sent. So um, you come to God, not by works, but by faith. And um, living faith presents itself in a life um, that is actually lived. So, work of, you know, works of faith is acting upon the word of God, you know, meditating upon the word of God and acting upon the word of God. The word of God is to believe, um, you know, is to believe in Christ because Christ said that um, the word of God says that um, you act on what the word says, and when you do. You know, when you do it, 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 it presents works of faith. So you can only have works of faith if you actually read the Word of God, understand the Word of God, and believe the Word of God, and you act upon what the Word of God says. So faith connects us. Faith connects you and me to God. Um, it communicates to our hearts, and the Word of God, um, you know, helps us to acquire more understanding and we respond to the word of God and this is what is called conversion. You know, how you turned to God from idols as verse 3 states and um, they believed in God. So it's actually believing, um, having faith like um, the way Peter had faith when they were fishing um, on that, um, on the Sea of Galilee. You know, they didn't catch any fish. And when Christ went back and told them, you know, cast your nets again, he said, you know, he was speaking from fact as a fisherman and said, you know, there's no fish there. We've tried all night, but I will cast my net again because he believed he had that faith. So he, he listened to the word of God. So, you know, today we have so much, you know, man, it's sad, man, and, you know, us today, we have so much faith in, um, you know, in the political system, in the economic system, and you know, no man can save us, but the word of God is the only one that can save us. You know, we believe. Um, you know, when we believe in God, because nowadays we put we put our hope in man, but man cannot do anything. Man cannot save us. So you know, the labor of love, and now we move on to the labor of love. What is the labor of love? So God saves by grace and not love. So this is love in action. So love will labor 
um, and Christ put, you know, Christ put it on the line for us. That was a labor of love when he died on the cross. So if you love me, keep my commandments. So, you know, as Christians, we ought to love him. You know, if we're practicing, you know, our Christian faith as a burden, then, you know, we shouldn't do it at all. And, um, you know, we, we have to love him and this should characterize the Christian life today and, you know, not for it to be a burden. You know, love for God is expressed, you know, in our obedience if we follow his commandments. So if we don't follow his commandments, we don't love him. You know, it's either you're for Christ or you're against Christ. You cannot be in the middle. So, you know, our Christian life is characterized and it's expressed, you know, out of our obedience for him. So that is a labor of love. If we obey Christ, that is, um, and 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 um, we have faith in Him, that is a labor of love. The way He put His life for us on the line, that was a labor of love. And then the third thing is the patience of hope. So, um, which says they turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. So they loved Him. And they were waiting for his son from heaven. So we will have hope for the future um, if we actually believe in him. You know, as Christians today, just generally as people today, you know, we cannot just live a life with no hope. You know, we have to hope for something um, that is coming because we have faith in something. And, um, you know, here, there's like three things. There's faith, there's hope, and there's love. And among these three things, um, love, you know, stands out. Love is, 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 is the strongest. So we have to have that hope, the hope of our Redeemer, of our Savior. Um, as, as, as quoted from Martin Luther King, everything that's done in the world is done by hope. So, you know, what is our hope today, you know, as Christians? What are we hoping for today? We cannot put all our hope and trust in man because man is a colossal failure. You know, you and me are a colossal failure. We're sinners. We fall short of the glory of God every day. And we cannot resolve the world problems today. Let us have our hope in God today. Let us put our hope in God today. Let us believe in Christ today. Let us, um, you know, have works of faith. Let us be obedient to God today. So um, these are the three graces that have been pointed out and highlighted by Paul today. And um, this is, the, is, is, is a biography of um, a Christian today. That's faith, hope, and love. So let us have that in our DNA if I, if I may, <laughs> um, you know, as Christians today. So, um, yeah, this is today's teaching. Thank you all for listening in. God bless and have a pleasant Tuesday. Bye-bye.